Jen. Hey, Frida. What's up? La vida es un carnaval. That's what's up. That is what's up. <laughs> hay que reír, hay que llorar. Vive tu vida. <laughs> okay, this is an episode about Celia Cruz. Hi. If you didn't get the hints that Carmen was so stealthily dropping. Today we're talking about a national treasure, and that is Celia Cruz. And an international Cruz. treasure. An international treasure. You're welcome, world, for giving you... We gave you Celia Cruz, us Cubans. Right, we take credit for it. We Absolutely after the fact. Full Generations credit. later, even though her talent and her charisma is all her. All right, folks. Celia Cruz, there are some of you that will know exactly who we're talking about. And for those of you unlucky people who do not know who Celia Cruz is... Celia Cruz is your mom in Una Bata de Casa. Celia Cruz is your aunt at the Nochebuena party. Celia Cruz is the queen of salsa. She wore big wigs, crazy makeup, always colorful. Her sound is out of this world. She was unapologetic. She was a god in the pantheon of Cubanity. I wrote in our notes for this episode that if Cuba had a Mount Rushmore, it would be like Jose Marti, and then right next to him, it would be Celia Cruz. And fill in the blanks of all of your other... Yeah, because we're getting to them. And Celia Cruz is both larger in life and incredibly humilde, humble. She was known for being... Humble. Celia Cruz was an artist, a musician, a singer, a performer who cut her teeth in La Habana and Cuba and eventually moved to New York, to New Jersey and grew to an international stage. And we're going to talk about that trajectory and what she has meant for not just Cubans, but Latino people and also Afro-Cubans and Afro-Latino folks. Celia Cruz was actually born Ursula Hilaria de la Caridad Cruz on October 21st, 1925 in La Habana. Oh my God, side note, my mom's middle name is de la Caridad. So they have that in common and I am so thrilled about that. <laughs> the other note is she was born in La Habana and La Habana was a center of performances and like wild stories of Cuba and of course the capital. And so later on that becomes relevant. But she has very humble beginnings. Her dad was a railway stoker. Her mother, Catalina Alfonso Ramos, was a housewife who took care of her extended family, her 13 siblings. And I think that when we've seen interviews of Celia Cruz, she's a very motherly, giving figure. And she's also someone who is always talking about her family. So she began singing in cabarets as a teenager. Remember, we're talking about um, her coming up as a teenager in the 1940s at this point when she mm -hmm. would have, you know, begun performing in cabarets in La Habana. And it's really important to talk about what was going on at the time because this is pre-Castro Revolution and Cuba was a big party scene and so there were many opportunities for her to go around singing but unfortunately her father really thought that she shouldn't be a performer I'm pretty sure that at the time he's looking around at the scene and he does not want his daughter involved in this you know live fast die young sex party drugs and rock and roll except you know no rock and roll quite yet <laughs> but I'm sure he doesn't want his daughter running around with this sort of crowd and so she actually began studying in university to be become a teacher 
at some point, one of her teachers, while she was in school studying literature to become a teacher, one of her teachers told her that she could make a lot more money as a singer. And so she decided to quit and start studying music. And she studied music, voice and piano at Havana's National Conservatory of Music. That's a pretty promising trajectory. In one of the interviews, and we, we listened to so many interviews, and God, it's a delight to hear her talk about her life and her upbringing. And like when she was a baby, she says she would sing everywhere that she went. She was in the stroller and she was already singing. And so one can say it was a bit inevitable for her to go from teaching to performing on these stages. A star was born. A star was born. I actually want to talk about her very first payment for singing her cousin took her down to a local radio station signed her up for a singing competition and she won that shit and she got paid in cake a whole cake okay carmen you're really excited about this whole cake but it's <laughs> one step away from getting paid and exposure honestly i would love the panetela the way my mom makes it so if it was just like that maybe that's fine but does that feed your family no of course no not. okay <laughs> no, but I just, it's a cute little a cute It's little cute, story. yeah, that's a cute little story. Um, her big break came when she joined the Sonora Matancera in Cuba. This was a big deal because she was the first black front woman for the Sonora Matancera. And the Sonora Matancera is the national salsa band, if you will. The band name, Sonora Matancera. What it means is Sonora comes from son, and son is a genre of music that is from Cuba. And it's actually the genre of music that Celia grows up singing and performing in. In Matancera, are they from Matanzas? <laughs> they might be from Matanzas, and they might not be, but that's the Sonora Matancera. And it was a huge, huge break for her at the time. So in 1957, note that is before the revolution, but shockingly close to the revolution, she's invited to the United States to receive an award and perform at St. Nicholas Arena in New York. Okay, so she becomes familiar with New York, which is pretty cool. Her time with Sonora Matancera is really not only her big break, but where she really designed her sound and her voice and the way that she was presenting to the world. And so the fact that she came to the United States to accept an award for that was already really, really significant. I came across an article written by the Smithsonian that said something really interesting to me. Um, so her catchphrase, azúcar, means sugar. And there are many stories as to how that came, including some that she's actually told herself. But I think it was interesting that in this article, they were pointing out the greater significance of this phrase and her actually coining it and bringing it to light in such a jovial manner because of Cuba's long history with enslaved Africans who worked on Cuban sugar plantations. So that was an interesting point. But to continue on with her life story, the revolution happens. 1959, the Cuban Revolution happens, and there are some sources that say that, that Celia was somewhat in support of a revolution. I understand how these might sound controversial nowadays, but whenever Carmen and I are thinking and talking about the history of pre-revolutionary Cuba. Pre-revolutionary Cuba was in a dictatorship as well with a, a very, very bloody leader and a lot of corruption and instability. So it, it might make sense at the time to want a change in government. 
Not only that, but at the time, Celia Cruz was pretty young. With what she was working with, her context, she was looking around her and seeing a lot of things she probably didn't like. Naturally. She was black. Uh, there was going to be so many reasons why she would want her life to change. There were a bunch of unmade promises, promises that never actually came to fruition that were supposed to be promises of that revolution. I think shortly after 1959, it became clear what the revolution was actually about. We're looking at this all from the other side of things, you know, 60, 70 years later after the revolution. So we know what we know. We know that it turned out really, really poorly. Regardless, Celia Cruz, you'll see later, never really got involved with politics. So all of that to say that, you know, whether or not she really did support the revolution before it took over doesn't really phase me so much, honestly. No. She's not a divisive figure. Ocelia is not divisive at all, but she did go through some huge heartbreak when she was exiled in 1961. She left Cuba and was never allowed to return. And then on the island, her music was not just banned, but her career was pretty much erased from history. So if you grew up in Cuba, you did not know that Celia Cruz was a star. That was actually super shocking for me to hear because obviously I have the experience of growing up knowing all about Celia Cruz and, and knowing how fundamental she is mm -hmm. to this culture and to this walk of life. And so just to, to even learn that is just wild to me. Um, so she was exiled from Cuba and she came to live in New Jersey. And that's really interesting because most of the Cubans who are exiled from Cuba end up in Miami. But why did she not end Jim up Crow in Miami? South. It's not good for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's a black woman yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. No way. And moving to New Jersey and or moving to the United States at that time came at a great consequence. Absolutely. So what had happened was that Sonora Matancera began touring. And in the middle of touring, the government decided that, you know, there was going to be no more performing outside of Cuba. And, wild. and so she could choose to come back. And then, of course, it would have been a complete loss of control over her artistic and creative freedom. Whatever she did have, everything she had been working towards with Sonora Matancera would have been down the drain. Basically, she made her choice to relocate to New Jersey to pursue her career and the rest of her life. And the government chose to never allow her back. Every single time she applied for visas to come back, even during extraordinary circumstances, they actually denied her visa, which is a really terrible move on their part. Since she migrated in the 1960s, she's that from that early generation that considered themselves particularly in exile, even though Celia Cruz was specifically exiled, because they believed that they could return at some point. They believed that a transition, a change in government might lead them to be able to return. But at no point during Celia's lifetime was she truly able to return to Cuba itself. And so that's really tough. She actually has a song about this. It's called Por si acaso no regreso. Por si acaso no regreso. Yo me llevo tu bandera. Lamentando que mis ojos liberada no it's such a beautiful song and I, I think that's another thing about Celia's identity that she was able to encompass that pain that so many folks feel uh, about not being able to return to their home. Por si acaso no regreso actually translates to just in case I never come back. 
And just to let you know exactly how big of a dick move it was on the Cuban government's part, her mom died and she applied for a visa to come to the funeral and the wake and the Cuban government said no. Mm. So that's what she means by extraordinary circumstances. After relocating in New Jersey, she wrote Song con Guaguancó. Which is about her transition from Cuba to the U.S. And it also perfectly describes like the new genre melding genre that she was helping to create, which is song one genre of music with wawanko, another genre. And both of them are Afro-based, African-based music sounds and Cuban-based sounds. So shortly after arriving to New Jersey, Celia Cruz gets the privilege of collaborating with Tito Puente, or they get the privilege of collaborating with each other. Now, Tito Puente is a mega artist, and he's he's as big as, you can say, as big as Celia in many ways, but in a different craft. Tito Puente was a Puerto Rican drummer. And his sound has entirely influenced the way Latino music works to this day. And imagine them two together. They started working together, making music, and started crafting this sound. And it could only happen because they were both in, you know, New Jersey, New York, in that area where a Cuban and a Puerto Rican can come together. And then in 1974, she collaborated with another titan in music, Johnny Pacheco. And from that collaboration, we got Kimbara. Johnny Pacheco was a Dominican-American artist. And so he was an arranger, a composer, a band leader. When they came together, they ended up really focusing on creating a genre of music called pachanga, which like blends Cuban rhythms with merengue. And so that is just like this genius Cuban-Dominican blend. And here they are just like being pioneers in so many ways, all of these giants. Not to mention during this time, we also have salsa coming onto the scene and becoming more prevalent. We need to specify that Celia Cruz is the queen of salsa. This is the mother of this entire spirit, mm -hmm, if you will. It's mm -hmm. not only the music that she made. It's also about the fashion. It's also about the hairstyle. It's about the dance. It's about the jovial qualities that make salsa what it really is. All of these ingredients were brought together in part by Celia Cruz. And salsa means a sauce. <laughs> but, you know, we had like a conglomeration of individuals from all the islands. And, and it's like a sauce that we blend together and we took the whole thing and we put it on the one roof we call it salsa some other things that we consider to be Cuban <laughs> they're actually created by a melding that happened in the United States and now Cuban salsa is an international thing in 1990 Celia Cruz managed to actually return to Cuba but not to Cuba the country rather just the actual landmass because she went to Guantanamo to sing she went to the Guantanamo naval base when she came to perform she grabbed a bunch of soil and brought it back and specifically stated that the day that she died she wanted to be buried with this soil isn't that so sweet and sad the little bit that she could grasp of the uh, you know her homeland so 
Celia Cruz came out with music until like the very end. She lived a long, rich life and she was coming out with hits and hits and hits and like influencing music and being her powerful self all through the very end. And she was recognized on so many stages. She received the National Endowment for the Arts from President Bill Clinton in 1994. She has a couple of honorary degrees, including one from Yale. Um, by the way, the National Endowment for the Arts is the highest recognition granted by the United States government to any artist. So that's really big. She did die peacefully on July 16, 2003 in her home in Fort Lee, New Jersey at the age of 77. She had been battling cancer for a while and finally, unfortunately, passed. It was her wish at that time to be taken to Miami for a procession so that her admirers can in enjoy her and remember her before being returned to a cemetery in New York City. I remember that funeral. I remember watching that procession. It was as if a saint had been a saint had died, a saint had been born, someone so, so special to all of us had passed. That is definitely one of those moments, right? It's like we have these defining moments in our lifetimes, like where were you when 9-11 happened, right? It's kind of like, where were you when, you know, Celia Cruz died? It's definitely that kind of, that's that magnitude for a lot of Cubans. So who was Celia Cruz? We just told you her whole life story, but who really was she? She is at this point a brand mm -hmm. in Cuban culture, if you will. We can call her that. She created and helped to create genuinely new genres of music. Her personality and her style of performance was out of this world. And her sense of fashion and her joy. So her joy for life was also something that was out of this world. Her joy for life was actually the driving and main theme of all of her music. Very rarely do you see a song by Celia Cruz that is a ballad, unless she's talking about really tragic things that happened to her in her life, like having to leave her home country, like having to readjust to a difficult life in a new environment, in a new place. Okay, fine. But most of her hits, most of the stuff that she's really known for, and most of the actual music that feeds into this sort of brand that I'm talking about, a lot of that is about life and enjoying it and savoring every moment because you'll never get it back. That is yeah. Celia's message. Mm -hmm. And it's about celebration. It's not about being happy-go-lucky all of the time, but rather existing in mourning. She was in a state of mourning. She mourned her homeland. She mourned family. She had loss. And she said, celebrate. Continue to celebrate. That is everyone's favorite thing about Celia is that no matter what, it's not so much look on the bright side as much as it is this beautiful and very nuanced approach to everything going on in life. Everything, all of the things that you are struggling with is entirely valid and yet still there is beauty in that sort of breakdown. And... <laughs> On top of that, she was unapologetically black. She worked with black artists. She worked with black music. She created a genre out of Afro-Cuban music and Afro-Latino music. She celebrated her features and celebrated herself. And a lot of her early music was of the Lukumi religion, which some call Santeria. And that is a, you know, a melding of African religion and Catholicism. And also very Cuban, very Afro-Cuban. 
Celia Cruz has actually stated that she grew up Catholic and that she never practiced Santeria. That being said, Santeria elements make their presence in a lot of her songs. And that is just, I think that is a necessary product of presenting the Cuban culture. And I love that she incorporated that. I love that. She said in an interview that even though she wasn't raised uh, Santera or anything like that, that some of her, her family after she left Cuba we're starting to practice Santeria or starting to practice the Lukumi religion. So it's hard to extricate her entirely from that subject matter and she didn't shy away from it. She also has songs about blackness. Speaking of her collaboration with Tito Puente, one of the most notable songs that came out of that was Bemba Colora, which is a really energetic guaguanco and it is a son interlude with a West African call and response. <laughs> Bemba colora means red lip and the lip being symbolism for Africanism. The song has Tito Puente doing a drum solo that is like wild and fun and it's exemplary of pride. For a black woman to be singing about Bemba, which is a very specific name for lips, it's not just saying lips, it's more of saying a thick lips. Thick lips. That's what it means. So for a black woman to be to be singing about thick red lips is a reclamation of that sort of power in her very fabulous blackness. Yeah, and she also talks about freedom in this song. There's a line that says Buscando su libertad y yo colorá, y como el pájaro quiero colorá, mi libertad recobrar. And it basically means I'm looking for my freedom, and like the bird, I want to regain my freedom. Which, of course, could have many personal connections to Celia and her wanting freedom and freedom of movement, but also... It's part of the struggle as a black person to talk about freedom and want freedom. Absolutely. And in being so candid about all of this stuff, I think one really interesting and beautiful thing about Celia is that even though she is considered a sort of crossover artist, right? She was incredibly modest and incredibly in her lane with everything she was doing. She was not trying to appeal to other audience. She was just being herself and that was appealing. It's also very hard to be a crossover artist and sing only in Spanish. Celia Cruz never sang in English. And that's really important because a lot of crossover artists can't accomplish that. A lot of them need to sing in English in order to appeal to an English-speaking audience. Okay, I think the only time I heard her try to sing English, there was like a Guantanamera she did with Wyclef Jean. And I think she tried to sing like a couple words in English, but like... Does that count that much? Not that much. Okay, she, she was just a couple of words. She didn't like try to make whole songs in English as far as I know. Another thing about Celia, again, refusing to court this sort of crossover demand is that even in her Latin presentation, she's not what you normally think of as the regular Latina entertainer. She was not interested in showing off a lot of skin ever. She was incredibly, always incredibly well modest, very elegant and very out there. 
Another thing is that despite singing a lot about Santeria and incorporating a lot of those elements that sort of represent a large part of Cuban culture, despite that she didn't practice Santeria, she created an arena for people who do practice to rally and use her music for more than just dancing, more than just listening, more than just enjoying, but rather as a force of worship, as an avenue for worship. And that's really important too for community building and identity. And as you said, Celia Cruz was dark-skinned and it's not as easy to make it as a dark-skinned woman, especially. And our the industry and the music industry has generally favored lighter-skinned women. And so she's a triumph in herself. And also for, I'm sure, dealing with all of the beauty standards that exist and continue to exist. Yeah, definitely on beauty standards. I think it's really cool that she understood what the beauty standard was and she understood how she did not fit into it. And yet she still saw a lot of value and a lot of appreciation for what she did bring to the table. And you could see that really well with her sense of fashion. She was a trailblazer. She looked around and she saw the beauty standards that were established by the powers that be. And she said, you know what? I don't fit into that beauty standard. We watched an interview where she said, Soy fea, siempre he sido fea, but people still appreciate me for it. And so she was, again, unapologetic about calling herself ugly. And yet the way she presents herself in a room, she's not trying to hide. Celia has never tried to hide. And I think that's, like we said, something very special about her personality and her brand. Celia's sense of fashion was absolutely larger than life. Those cool shoes that Lady Gaga brought out back in 2009 with no heel, Celia actually brought those to the stage back in the 60s and 70s. The Nicki Minaj technicolored wig that then became super popular and now we have everybody trying to do cool hair, all of that stuff, Celia was doing way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Cardi B... The entire video of I Like It Like That, that entire scene of the sort of uh, Caribbean atmosphere, everybody dancing, Cardi with the giant turbans and the enormous dresses that are ballooning out from behind her in beautiful silks of jewel tones. That is the Moselia thing I have seen. That is her brand. <laughs> her dress is actually on display at the Smithsonian. Yeah, actually, a lot of Celia's fashion was on display at the Smithsonian because her dresses, her wigs were iconic. And sometimes it kind of got in the way, but she made the decisions that she made. I'm referring to a story that she told in this documentary where early on in her musical career and education, she was working with a piano teacher and was trying to learn piano. And the teacher was just like, you either get rid of your nails or you don't get to play piano because it was just not working out. And she said she chose her nails. <laughs> Hashtag priorities. <laughs> Celia was such a figure that among the many accolades and wonderful things that are on her resume, Celia was on Sesame Street. She has her own Google image. She has been on the U.S. stamp. Okay, you guys need to watch the Sesame Street episode because she it just shows how like joyful she is and how she manages to go to Sesame Street and still exude all of the talent in the world, even though she's next to all these puppets. Like, how do you do that, Celia? You are perfect. You were perfect. We love Celia. 
And she is not just this amazing figure who made this beautiful music that we all love and know. And she's not just somebody who had a really interesting fashion sense and was unapologetically black and created all of these anthems for us as Cubans. But Celia kind of, in in a sense, permeates so many aspects of what it means to be Cuban that she you can't be Cuban and not know about her. You watch an interview with her today and you hear her talk and you're just like, oh, you remind me of my grandmother. You remind me of someone that I know and love. And when she talks about how she might spend her evening, she might go over to a neighbor's house that she trusts and just have a good meal with them and then sit at home with Pedro, her husband. And she's relatable, honestly, and always had been. And and yet, larger than life. And I know we've said that so many times. But now she's passed. And she, she lives on inside of us. She lives on in memory. That larger than life but relatable quality about her is is kind of what it what it's like to be Cuban, to be like that out there and be loud and be very unapologetically Cuban. But at the same time, you're like really not that big of a deal. You're just a regular person. And, and that is one of the reasons why Celia is somebody that everyone is proud to talk about. All Cubans can rally behind Celia Cruz. No one can touch her. She can do absolutely no wrong that's exactly why and Celia Cruz never lived a life of conflict trust me I scoured the internet I scoured we books. tried we because tried. we're like all right we're gonna present this however we can all that we do not shy away from criticism if we think something is wrong or we disagree with something even if it's a Jose Marti even if it was Celia Cruz we would tell you but honestly this woman couldn't find anything on her she has no dirt she's just amazing <laughs> what can I say <laughs> yeah, yeah. And look, you don't have to be perfect, but how the hell did you end up so perfect, Celia Cruz? Don't I don't know. know. We don't know. I also really love that Celia Cruz is a call to action. I know we we say those words now and they're a little bit loaded because there's a lot going on in Cuba and there's a lot going on in the world and there's a lot of protesting and a lot of civil unrest in many locations of the world, especially within our own diaspora. Um, but what I love about Celia and what I'm saying about her being a call to action is that you can't, you don't listen to Celia come on the radio and then sit there completely still. She's not, you, that will never happen. You move, you scream, you get up, you move around, you celebrate, you laugh, you have fun, you remember the good times. It is... She's a conversation piece. Whoever you see also moving their shoulders when Celia comes on, then you know that they also know what's up. She's that kind of figure. And she's inspiring as hell as a woman. Amen. No, Carmen, not amen. You mean Asuka! <laughs> this episode, we don't just have a Cubanismo, but we have un Celiaismo. And... <laughs> <laughs> the Celiaismo is her signature azúcar, which azúcar is something that Celia yells randomly in the middle of a song with her deep, sort of passionate voice. Yeah, and you don't and you don't say azúcar. No, you no, don't, no, 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 no. You gotta it's yell it azúcar with that and, intonation. And you're moving around, and you know that when you yell it out, you have to move your mouth upward so that the whole room can hear it because it stands for celebration, being loud, and putting sugar on it. Let me tell you something. If you walk into a room and you just don't say anything and you just yell azúcar and there is but one Cuban person in the room, they're going to yell it back. Absolutely. They're going to yell it back. That's, that's the call and the response. That's the call and response. <laughs> yeah, and that's the literal context of the Cubanismo. Ese grito, esa palabra azúcar. De azúcar, bueno, mira. Yo estaba en Miami, en un restaurante cubano, por supuesto, comiendo. Mm -hmm. 
Cuando termino de comer, el camarero me pregunta, si quiero café, pues claro que todos los negros tomamos café. <risa> me dice, ¿cómo lo quieres? ¿Con azúcar o sin azúcar? Digo, chico, mira, tú eres cubano, tú sabes bien lo fuerte que es el café de nosotros. ¿Cómo me vas a preguntar que sí, con azúcar o sin azúcar? ¡Con azúcar, chico! ¡Con azúcar, sí le di! So there's a lot of possible origins of Asuka, but apparently the most practical origin story, which she gave at a talk show, was that she would tell the story. A lot of times while the orchestra was warming up and she was getting ready to sing, she would tell stories. And one of the stories that she told was about going to a restaurant somewhere and the waiter asking her if she wanted more sugar. And she would say, yeah, of course I want more sugar. I'm Cuban. Azúcar, I want more sugar. Okay, she told that story so, so many times she got frustrated. At some point, she would just walk out and people kept asking for it. They would be like, azúcar, azúcar, tell the azúcar story. She eventually just said, azúcar, and it became larger than the story itself. And that is Celia. And that is such a thing that there's actually an ice cream shop in the middle of Calle Ocho in Miami called Azúcar. It's absolutely delicious. I highly recommend it. They're not paying us, but they better. Dude, that don't, abuela, don't the oh, abuela Maria say, flavor, oh The boy. abuela Maria flavor with the uh, abuela Maria Brings crackers are amazing with guayaba and all those flavors. Delicious. Thank you so much for listening to one of our favorite episodes ever to record, not only because it's about Celia, but also because we're in person. We got to do this in person. This has never happened. We've never done an episode in person. Ever. Ever, ever. <laughs> A big shout out and thank you to all of our patrons, Carolina, Lauren, Gianni, Vinal, Christine, D, Derek, Andy, Ryan, Jose, Susan, Salia, Catherine, Lauren, Kaylee, Amaury, Kristen, Sarah, Karina, Jason, Daniel, Josh, Yvette, Kellis, and Jesse. Thank you all so much for your continued support. It is only because of you we're able to continue. We also want to let you all know that we are offering merch for sale on our website at takeiteasypod.com and you can email us at takeiteasypod at gmail.com and we are on all social media as at takeiteasypod. We also, speaking of social media, show up Every other week that we don't publish a show, we show up and we do a thing called Cafecito where we get on Instagram Live and we talk to our listeners and we talk to our followers. So, folks, we want to make sure that you know that exists because we would love to see you there. Absolutely. See you there. Hopefully, take it easy. Take it easy. <laughs> azúcar. Azúcar. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.